Okay, good morning. Um, this morning, I was talking to some of the ladies and I was talking to them about college days. I don't know about you guys, um, how many of you, you, you you're, you're old enough to have uh, experienced the whole, when people, when guys and girls send notes and pass letters? Today is more email, chat, no? emojis, memes. But how many of you experience that? Kanang handwritten, your handwriting has to be so nice para impress kay si girl. Yeah? A few? Some are like, mmm, and others, good guy, I hate my handwriting. Well, anyway, um, during college, I had this friend and he was courting this girl and he spent a lot of time trying to get to know her. So, you know, he would not eat several days, just show my or something just to save money so he can take her out and things like that. And so they were passing letters to one another. It wasn't also yet the whole emoji chat thing. It was more um, stationary. You buy stationary in national bookstore. You make sure your handwriting is nice. Right? And so the, the girl, so he wrote a letter to the girl. The girl wrote a letter to him back. And the girl told him, um, because it was a response to him telling her how he felt. And so the guy, he brought us guys together and he said, Pare, or well, okay, in English, uh, dude, I'm, I'm so nervous. I can't read this. You read for me. Just tell me if it's good news or bad news. So I open the letter. I look at it. It's not very good news. You know, like she she appreciated a friendship, but didn't really feel the same way. So I started to read, and I'm like, how do I break this to him? Now, question. If you were in my place, what would you have done? Would you have read it straight? Yes. <laughs> or <laughs> deserves the truth? Or would you would you kind of would you kind of like, pare, you wanna maybe sit down? Uh, you want I get water muna pare ha, before I read everything to you? <laughs> or would you say, let's not read it na lang, bro? <laughs> what what would you do? Honestly, how many would would say? I'll just read it word for word. Wow. In a nice, comforting tone, no? Uh, okay. How many of you would say, just make it light na lang, oy, not, not, ano na lang? Alright. Just one? One lang. Okay, one. Okay, two. Two people would kind of make it light. How many of you would say, I'll edit na lang, and then I won't say certain painful parts. I'll only read the nice parts. Anyone? Wala. Okay. Ha, huh, what a relief. Well, what I did, <laughs> looked at it, I just said, Pare, busted ka? <laughs> He's like, huh? Hindi nga, akin nga. Next na, pare, many fish in the sea. That's, you know, so try to brush it off na lang. Now, why do I, why did I ask you this question? Today, we're in a new series. It's our core values series. And the first of our ABCDE is Accurate Expository Preaching. Okay, and we are here because we want to reintroduce everybody, especially if you're going through discipleship and you're almost done, or for some of you, you're already done and you're listening to the Statement of Faith class and you're wondering, what does this church really believe in certain uh, foundational truths with regards to certain uh, ministry philosophies? And so that's why we're doing this Series and accurate expository preaching is the letter A. It's the first of our core values. Um, we're gonna discuss why that is in the context of Second Timothy. So, first, what is Second Timothy? Second Timothy is one of Paul's pastoral letters. It's one of the last few letters he wrote. So think of this as kind of like a like a last will uh, or a when I go, here's what must be done. Here's what you have to really remember. Okay? Uh, he was giving something like a final instructions to, to Timothy. And pastors are called to shepherd. Paul did that. Timothy did that. The question now is how? How do we do it? How are we supposed to lead, guide, and feed the flock? That's the real question. Because if you say, I'm called to pastor, okay, what are you supposed to do? Diba? A friend of mine said, oh, 
Pastoring, I think it's very easy. I said, why do you think it's very easy? His, his answer made me laugh. He said, well, you just have to make sure that the bills are paid in the church and that um, the sanctuary or the, the church you know, is always clean and things like that. I'm like, dude, you mean managing. Managing is easy, you know, but pastoring, that's shepherding. That's a different story entirely. Now, where does a shepherd's authority come from? Where does a pastor's authority come from? The answer is the word of God. And that is why letter A is expository preaching. So let's define it real quick. What is expository preaching? Or some of you will say expositional preaching. It's preaching through the whole Bible without skips. If the text is difficult, the text is difficult. If I don't want to preach this because I don't kind of understand it, I have no choice. I have to study it. I have to apply it in my life. I have to really dig deep. I'm sure you've all also experienced churches that don't do this. It's called topical preaching. Topical preaching is when you get a topic and then you open the Bible and you get verses from all over the Bible to kind of support the topic. Yeah? Now, we're not saying that topical preaching is evil or sinful or wicked. We're not. But... If you get an email, you'd rather read the whole thing in context. You're not going to get a manual of, let's say, you bought a really brand new device that's very, very ultra expensive. The manual is this thick. You're not going to think, well, it's a brand new device. I don't know how to do or how to operate this. So what do I want to think about this device today? And then I'll just look at, you know, I'll get one from this chapter, page 4, another one from page 72. You're not going to do that. If you receive the response to your love letter, you'll read the whole thing. You're not just going to read the parts now. I appreciate our friendship. Ah, yes. <laughs> you know, you're such a great friend. Okay. Perkatong, but, oh, there's a but. I don't want to read that part. You don't do that. You read the whole thing. It's the same with God's word. We read the whole thing. We are fully convinced that local churches must be centered on God's word. If we're not centered on God's word, forget it. That won't be a church for very long. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to preach, or I'm going to talk about that in the context of 2 Timothy 3.16 to 4 verse 5. And then the second part of the sermon will give you 15 benefits of expositional preaching. Okay? So let's get into... The text, verse 16, oh, and uh, one more thing, we're not going to go very in-depth, we're not going to deep dive into the text, we're going to look at a macro view, okay, macro view ta. So verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. From this text alone, these two verses, we get two foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. Doctrine number one, the infallibility of Scripture. Infallibility means Scripture has no error. Thus, the second doctrine is the sufficiency of Scripture, meaning Scripture is sufficient or enough for us as Christians. Okay? Because it's God's word, because the Bible is God's word, it contains no errors. In fact, Scripture is truth. Scripture is fact. Scripture is right. All the scientific stuff that you see there are factually, scientifically true. We're not talking about the symbolisms. How, okay, there's a different way to read the symbolisms and the, the visions. But, but the, the facts presented are true. In fact, it's interesting, there are several scientific facts that are in Scripture before science has discovered it. One example is in Job. When everyone says that the world is flat, Job says that God hangs the, the sphere of the world in space. How in the world did he know that the world was round when everyone said the world was flat? Things like that. Okay, so there's more. Now, we're not going to get to all of that. But So it's truth, it is fact, it is right. From the very, very beginning, God's word always created God's people. 
It's never the people first and then God's word. It's always God's word first and then God's people. If you just look at a summary, in the beginning, God. Diba? In the beginning, God. And then, He always, His word spoke things into existence. It was always His word. God's word called the patriarchs. Right? God's word formed after the patriarchs, Abraham. God's word formed his nation, Israel. It was God's word through the prophets who transformed his people. What made Israel unique from all the other nations? Israel had the word of God when all the other nations did not. Israel had prophets to speak in behalf of God. No other nation had that. God's word informed his people and then later on the word became flesh Christ and then Christ pointed to the Old Testament God's word before to himself God's word literally and then the apostles lived and died for God's word we have missionaries who died just to bring the Bible to different countries different nations who when people say oh reject the Bible no way you can take away anything, everything from me except one thing. Christ through the scriptures. It's always Jesus through the scriptures. We today are transformed, guided, held accountable, comforted, judged, and saved by his word. It's always his word. Now, of course, there are sources we can go to. Calvin, Luther, Spurgeon, etc. Sproul. There's so many. But they are not God's word. Many times I get into discussions with theologians, with exegetes, really good, reliable people. And then when we get into discussions, they say, well, you know, Calvin said this. You mean you disagree with Calvin? I'll be like, well, give me scripture first. If Calvin disagreed with scripture, I'll disagree with Calvin. So you think you're smarter than Calvin? No. I never said that. I just said, give me scripture. Our loyalty has to be to scripture first more than whoever else because nobody is infallible except god's word the other doctrine is the sufficiency of scripture scripture is enough sufficient it's sufficient for what teaching reproof correction and training in righteousness what is teaching obviously teaching is to transfer information from one person to another Reproof is to kind of correct or to verify. Correction is obviously when someone's already in error. Training in righteousness, that's for all of us. Sufficiency of scripture means we don't need anything else that are what we call extra-biblical. So there's biblical and then the extra naka. You're outside it. So extra-biblical revelations, visions, dreams, whispers. You know, I heard a, a voice from the Lord. Okay, whispers. Signs. Uh, if I do this and then this happens, Lord, if you just do this, then, okay. Signs. Experiences even. Will this happen? Good. It's not coincidence na siguro. Alright, so we don't need those things. Now, God may help uh, may, may help us learn certain things. God gives us experiences. We still do have dreams, but these are not infallible and we don't need them to make decisions in life. In fact, that can be very destructive. I actually know someone who could not make a decision without those experiences first. So the Bible has been set aside because what she does or what she did was to just sit, close her eyes, and then wait. Lord, come on, speak to me, Lord. Sing in the Lord. It's like that. And whatever comes in, we don't know if that's her imagination, if she experienced something and then, you know, it, or maybe she's sleepy and kind of accidentally daydreamed and then she'll think it's from the Lord. We don't know that. So we go back to the scripture. Remember this. Believing in the infallibility of scripture means nothing if you reject the sufficiency of scripture. What's the point? If you say that scripture has no error, if you don't believe it's enough anyway, so you're going to set the infallible thing aside because you think that you need something more. 
Belief in its infallibility means nothing. In fact, it's useless and irrelevant if you reject the sufficiency of Scripture. And until today, we still have friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord who doubt the sufficiency of Scripture. So they go to, if not these dreams and revelations and etc., others go to programs. How do we do evangelism? I oh, will do this program or that program. Is scripture enough for discipleship? No, we need a process like this and like that. Without this process, without this event, without this retreat, people won't grow. No, you know the word is enough. God's word is enough. Verse 17 says that believers can be complete, equipped for every good work. Every. When I was younger, uh, now I feel old, no? But when I was younger, and uh, uh, some friends of mine said, Oh, magpastor ka? You should have taken psychology. And then you should have taken up counseling. And then you should have taken up, ano, kanang, uh, what's it called? Kanang leadership. Leadership courses and all. I'm like, huh? And I got so pressured because I didn't know any of the, I was, you know, just starting. I said, oh my goodness, yeah, I regret my course in college. Oh, I regret not taking this or that. I should have. And then I got into Bible school and they're like, oh, you should take these counseling classes. Oh, no. And today I look at the word and I say, Lord, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. Why am I so paranoid? If we believe that there's a supernatural work of God in our lives through God's word, then that's enough. Sufficiency of scripture. Now, will these help? Sure. Will accounting help? Counseling help? Sure. But if they go against what God teaches, then we reject that. Because God is supernatural. Of course, if you've got more questions about that, we can talk about that later on. But look at Ephesians. Uh, no, sorry, not Ephesians. Hebrews 4 verse 12. If you want to go there, that's fine. Hebrews 4 12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And then this phrase pops out. He says, Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What's the point of a sword? The sharpness of a sword. It's to pierce. It's to slice, right? It's to get through to what? To what's lethal. I mean, if you think about the purpose of the sword, it's to kill, obviously. So a sword has to get to that fatal or lethal part of the body. For our soul, our spirit, that's the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The scriptures will get to that part of each and every one of us. Verse 13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So God's word is what holds us accountable. Another way of saying it is this. How a person responds to scripture reveals the intention and condition of the heart. That's always the case. I've met people who profess Christ but believe in some really weird stuff. And so I tell them, hey, let's open the Bible. Let's look at Scripture. They'll say, don't talk to me about the Bible. Huh? Wait, wait a minute. If, you're, if you say you're a Christian and I say I'm a Christian, we both love God's Word as Christians. They'll say, yes. Then let's open the Bible together. Ah, I don't want... Why? Have you ever seen people like, uh, who are passionate about something earthly, like a hobby? Like, for example, video game players or esports professional players, video game players, and they're complete strangers and they're sitting in, let's just pretend they're sitting in a clinic, they're waiting, and so one person reads a, an article for video games on his phone. The other guy looks and says, Excuse me, are you a professional esports player? And then the other guy goes, Yes, I am. They go, Ah, oh, really? What game? And suddenly they're friends for life. Diba? From complete, total strangers to suddenly they cannot stop talking. Mag-exchange pa numbers. Diba? Are you in any forums or group chats? Diba? How come people in the world can become so connected and passionate and become best friends and they bond over something so trivial? But Christians or 
as people who profess to be Christians, when you meet, you're also a Christian. Yes, hey, let's talk about scripture. Adi lang taana. Huh? That's a little suspicious. How people respond to God's word reveals the intention and condition of their heart. That is also why when verse 17 says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, that every good work, I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 as well, which says that God has, pre has good works prepared in advance for us to do so we can walk in them. God prepared the good work for us. God's word sanctifies us, transforms us so we can do that. What causes us to do these good works? God's word. That's why when we come and meet on Sundays, we gather for God's word, not for opinions, not for jokes, not for motivational, motivational speeches. Yes, yeah, sometimes preachings can be funny. There might be a humorous anecdote here or there, but we're not trying to make you laugh. We try to give you as much explanation as we can. We try to equip, train, remind, edify, comfort through God's word, but never to entertain. Even Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the whole Bible, talks about God's word. I challenge you, if you want to hashtag challenge accept, you sit down, you open Psalm 119, and you read the whole thing in one sitting. And you will see just how valuable God's word is. In fact, this is one of the assurances of our salvation, a hunger for God's word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, like babies, like infants, we crave God's word. A child naturally desires milk. When a baby is just a baby, the baby doesn't think, I want to drink milk now. It will help me form my bones, the calcium, the protein will help me grow. The babies don't think that way. A baby will just naturally crave. Scientifically, it's so interesting. Scientifically, the tongue, the taste buds of children or of babies are designed to want milk. And they will not really want other stuff yet. And as we grow older, the taste buds begin to develop and change. But when we're still babies, milk will be the default desire of the tongue of babies. So it's a natural thing. So one of the one of the ways to know if a person is saved or not, there is a longing or a craving or a hunger for God's word. How do you know a baby is a baby? It will desire milk. Oh, well, until now, some of us still do, but naturally, ba, ba? babies will desire milk. So Christians will desire God's word. It's that natural. If you have to say, I, I, I think I'm a Christian, but uh, I, I don't really like God's word. I don't enjoy reading God's word. I just should. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe. There are times when you feel like you're not in the mood. But during those times, that's when your heart is so down. You'll be like, Lord, I know I'm not in the mood, but I do miss your word. Until it comes to a point when you hunger so much, you'll end up grabbing your Bible. Chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. So this is Paul continuing his thought. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So we'll pause for a moment. This charge is serious, it's divine, it's life and death. Before, during their culture, if you make an oath or a vow or a promise to any deity, that's deadly. Because they took it seriously that if they did not do what they vowed, God could kill them. Or the deity they vowed to could kill them. Could strike them dead on the spot. So Paul is saying, Timothy, if there's one thing you're going to do the rest of your life, Preach the word. Just keep on preaching and preaching the word. No more, no less. No other points of interest. No other extras, but God's word. One of the 
deepest, greatest joys and privilege of pastors is to preach God's word. And one of our greatest paranoias is to prepare for preaching God's word. One way to, not naman to make myself freak out, but one of the things that I do when I'm preparing a sermon is this. I imagine that Jesus is sitting somewhere here. And I say this to myself. If the Lord Jesus Christ, my Creator King, is sitting in the audience in church and I'm preaching His Word, will He look at me and go, mm-hmm? or will He go, that's not what I said. <laughs> that's what, and you're giggling because you're like, Ugh. but it's true. That's one of the ways to know if, if you're really faithful. If you're already like, oh, I'm going to be creative. I'm going to put this in. Oh, I'm so imaginative. I'll put something unique. Oh, Lord. Jesus will be looking at me and be like, mm-hmm, that's the last time today, you know, for this month maybe. So it's going to freak you out as a preacher. But that's one of the ways. Are we faithful? Because Paul said, preach the word. He doesn't say preach your opinion. Preach the word. Again, the email analogy. Read it word for word. Don't edit. Don't change. If the girl said busted, don't say, oh, pare kayo na. <laughs> that's just, well, it's going to cause so many problems. Okay, so that's what we're supposed to do. And he said, be ready in season and out of season, meaning anytime, anywhere. This is also another challenge. And this is not just for pastors. This is a command for all of us. You know how we kind of encourage you to memorize uh, your testimony? A two-minute testimony, a five-minute version, a ten-minute version, right? Uh, a quick one-minute version. Like you're in a group and the person's about to go. Like, oh, I'm supposed to go now. Uh, I, I booked a grab na, And you're like, oh, man. And then the person says, oh, wait, you know, before the grab arrives, but I have a question. I'm just curious. How come you're a Christian? How do I answer this? Grab's on the way. Well, when I was born, <laughs> grab is coming. Well, you know, here's what happened to me. I will live my life this way. I met the Lord through this and that. Right? But your testimony isn't God's word. You have to prepare your testimonies in such a way that you can point to God's word. Which means you have to memorize some verses. You know, this was my life before. Because... And you know, the Bible is true when it says in Romans 1 that all have no one seeks God, not one. Because that was me. I never sought God. Never ever did. In fact, I ran away as fast as I could from God. And then you know, God changed me. Especially in Jeremiah. It says that he gave me a heart of, uh, removed my heart of stone, gave me a heart of flesh. It's so true in Jeremiah. It's so true what Jesus said in John 1. He made me born again. You know, things like that. So we have to memorize certain verses. So our testimony is seasoned with God's word. So you're probably thinking, well, that's part of it. That's part of our Christian walk. If you're a lawyer, for example, you're a lawyer and someone says, Atorini, here's what happened. You're just having coffee. What do you think? You can't just say, you know, all my law books are in the office, so I don't really know. I cannot say anything at all until we talk in the office. Delay. We gotta be ready. In season and out of season. There are even times when, uh, and it's not just for pastors, but it can be for you guys as well. Be ready to deliver something of a biblical nature. Uh, when I attended a church, my previous church, it was a single pastor, a solo pastor. Now what if he's sick? What if suddenly there's a flat tire or he gets into an accident? What happens to the service? So, believe it or not, he told the staff, all of you always prepare something every Sunday. But just in case. Come every Sunday, Lord, let him come, please. <laughs> because we're freaking out. But that's, that's life as a Christian. We always have to be ready in season and out of season. Not only that, 
And yes, it's very challenging, but we need to prepare our truth, our tone, and our timing. I keep saying this over and over again. The three T's, truth, tone, and timing. Yes, we got to be ready. Yes, memorize some verses, exegete some verses. In fact, one trick you can do, bring a Bible, a small Bible everywhere you go. But you can call this your maybe evangelism Bible. You just highlight the verses that you always go to. Bright yellow highlighter. And on the front page, list down the verses. Uh, oh, if they ask me this, canning a verse. If they ask me that, canning a verse. And then put some post-it tabs or something so you can go straight to it. You can do that. Our truth, tone, and timing also has to be there. Truth is the content. Tone is not just how nicely you say it, but the choice of words is part of tone. We're all going to hell! And then, what's your tone? Ah, okay, I'll change my tone. You're going to hell. <laughs> it's, watch your words as well. We can first qualify it maybe. You know that God is holy. If God is holy and we sin, what do you think we deserve? The person says, judgment? I agree with you. Came from you, not from me. There's another way to watch your tone. Truth, tone, and timing. And then it's interesting that Paul said, so do all these things, rebu reprove, rebuke, exhort. Reprove, let's re-examine what you really believe. Rebuke, correct them. Exhort, this is to encourage or to comfort with complete patience and teaching. Complete patience and teaching. Why patience? Because people will not repent upon first hearing. And well, mostly. I've never met someone the uh, first time ever he heard the gospel, automatic repent. I must have heard the gospel more times than I can count before I repented. So, okay. Next opportunity, next week, next week, next week, next week. Sige lang, patience lang. Balik, 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 balik. It's fine. Until the person repents or blocks you. But until either of the two happens, complete Patience. Okay? And I struggle with this, to be honest. Even, you know, Jesus, when the disciples said, kept asking him questions, he said, how long have we been together? You still don't G? You still don't get it? You don't understand? But Jesus was patient. Can you imagine the, first, the disciples? Three whole years, balik-balik. If I were Jesus, what? Na? Lightning. Na? <laughs> but, Patience and teaching. Your teaching also has to be complete, not just the patience. Some of God, all patience, no teaching. There's no content, no truth. Others, the man is all truth, no patience. <laughs> Which is kind of scary. Do this or else I failed. Then you're done. <laughs> Alright. Complete patience and teaching. Both are so necessary. They're crucial. And then verse 3 and 4, Paul gives us a warning. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What does this mean? Itching ears means selective hearing. Okay? Selective hearing means I'll only hear the nice stuff. I don't want to hear the bad stuff. Like the email. Ah, appreciate the friendship. Okay. Ah, okay. You're applying for a... For a for, have, do you guys remember when you tried to apply for college? And then you take exams, right? Pressure na, And then the letters arrive. Once you see, we regret to inform you I don't want to read this anymore. <laughs> no, read it. It might say, we regret to inform you that we cannot accept you as this time because the dormitory is full. Huh? Katulang? Yes. Diba? But the thing is, we have to read everything. We can't, be, we can't do selective hearing. I was talking to a very good friend recently and this person said, there are times when I only... Listen or read when it's okay with me. 
uh, I am very guilty of that many times as well. You know, you go to YouTube, you play John MacArthur, you're listening and you go, ah, this isn't for me, it's for my friend. No? But it's true, no? Still happens. Especially if it's Paul Washer. Uh, this is so not for me, you know. I wish my so-and-so friend was here. <laughs> no way, it's for me, the I? No, so selective hearing. Sometimes it's also selective reading. I'm not in the mood to exegete letters right now. Mag-Psalms na lang ko. And then you read the Psalms. It's too touchy-feely for me. I feel like I want to get some wisdom. Proverbs ko. Mood reading from Scripture, it might help, but long, ta- long term might not be that helpful. We believe in expositional preaching. When you read the Bible, your spiritual disciplines, you're supposed to do expositional reading for yourself. Don't think, ah, Sundays ang expositional, but in my own Bible reading, feel, feel lang. You'll never really grow as a Christian if you'll keep jumping. You read it systematically. You read through the whole letter. Don't read email 1, email 10, email 11. Worse, paragraph 42 of email 100, paragraph 7 of email 6. Ayaw. You'll just jumble it all in your head. Selective reading. Then there's selective discipleship. I will choose the discipler who is so nice. I don't want to get discipled by someone who I'm afraid of. Because he or she might tell me things that might be painful. I'm, I'm saying all these because I'm guilty of all of them. Huh? Before, when I got discipled, I got disip- one person who offered discipleship with me was a guy who spoke straight to your face. He's the type who would be like, bro, man-to-man talk. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> man-to-man. I know what this means. It means I got to repent of something. You know? <laughs> but... Sometimes, that's what we need. How about this? Selective sermons. Now, usually, the people guilty of this are the preachers. I don't want to preach that because the congregation might not like me after. I'll preach the no, comfortable ones lang. Kanang Jesus loves you. Pero kanang repent, repent. Bro, ikaw preach anibi. <laughs> okay? So, many times we do these things. Why? We tend to excuse or justify the sins of the people we want to please. Agree? You have a very close friend. You think this is wrong, bye? And you know it's wrong, goodbye. You're looking at scripture, we know it's so wrong. But he's your friend, you want to please him, so what do we do? Bro, we're all works in progress, Bitao. Or, you know, bro, we all have our maturity levels. We all have our personal growth in the Lord. Now, these are all true, but your intention for saying it might not be godly. So we have to be very careful. For some, we just go all out, hard truth, no patience. For some, it's all patience, no truth. And the balance is so hard to spot. It's such a thin line. Sometimes it's thin, it's dotted, you're like, I don't know where, Lord, please give me wisdom. We need wisdom, but That's our Christian walk. Many will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. These myths can be anything. The wandering off can be anything. Topical sermons, in a way, could be a tickling of itching ears. How does that work? Imagine a church that says, we just want growth in numbers. Okay, So what do we do? We do topical preaching all the time and we'll only preach about evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. And all we'll do is talk about the good stuff. God's comfort, God's love, God's peace, God's joy, uh, the blessings of the Lord and all of that. We'll never teach the repentance part. So they're preaching, but because it's topical and it's the pastors who are deciding what to preach, they're the ones dictating the agenda. And so what happened? In a way, in a way, if the intention of the pastors are to please the people to gain more numbers, they're still tickling ears, itching ears. 
they're still guilty. So again, topical preaching in and of itself is not sinful or wrong. But if the intention is not godly, then they could be guilty still. Then, in verse 5, Paul says this, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. To be sober-minded does not just mean to not be drunk. Because normally that's what we think, right? Sober is the opposite of drunk. But in the context, to be sober-minded means to be aware, awake, alert. To be actively discerning. To be intentionally conscious. When you're listening, you're really listening. And when people say verses in the, in, in the sermon, I write down the verses so I can exegete the verses for myself when I get home. I will verify with God's word. When, you know, you meet Christians, doesn't matter. This church, different church, but a professing Christian. It can't just be, oh, you're a Christian? That's great, so am I. And then in your head, okay, turn off, uh, turn off alertness, whatever he says, amen. It can't be that. In fact, I find it more and more these days that the moment someone says, I'm a Christian too, all the more I turn on all the alerts and the alarms. So what church do you go to? Ah, so what was the sermon about? What do you believe? What do you preach? How do you read your Bible? You're like, yeah, it sounds weird na parang you're in, in uh, detective mode. But really the truth is, there are so many false teachers, false teachings, false converts. And Paul himself already warned us. A time will come when there will be a form of godliness, but they deny its power. It's a form of godliness. So they look Christian. They bring a Bible that's this thick. They'll have all the Christian lingo. And when you look at them in the worship service, they movement sa worship. Wow! Eyes are closing. And then when they start talking, oh, something's up. We have to be sober-minded. And we need to endure suffering. Because you know what? The more faithful you are to Scripture, the more persecution will come. That's just part of the deal. That's counting the cost. That's the call. We get persecuted for speaking the truth. The more we refuse to compromise, the more the suffering will come. And persecution will always come from the religious because they think they do better and the secular because they think they know better. Always good not. The religious will say, ah, I'm better than you. You talk about doctrine, for example. Here's what God's word says. Why should I listen to you? How many churches did you plant? I planted two churches. I've been on mission trips six times. I know seven, eight pastors and two bishops. What have you done? I've actually met someone. We were discussing scripture and he was talking about visions and all of that. And I told him, hey, bro, uh, I, I think the scriptures are sufficient. We don't need that. And he goes, well, my visions helped me to plant four churches. Okay, and do you teach this kind of doctrine to all four churches? He says, of course. In my head, uh-oh. So four churches are now rejecting the sufficiency of Scripture. That's just how it works. Many times also it comes from churches and Christians who love God but somehow have wandered away. It's not the itching ears, it's the wandering away. There are four subgroups to that. The first subgroup are the compromisers. These are people who have sin in their lives and they don't want to get judged by God's word and so they reject God's word. Okay, I'm a Christian and this is my lifestyle. And you tell them, what? That doesn't connect. And they say, don't judge me. How could you judge me? How dare you? Are you God? Are you perfect? Are you Christian? You're like, I'm not judging you. I'm, I'm giving you God's word. I don't care about that whole God's word thing. Basta I have my walk, you have yours. You have your Christian, Christian thing, I have my Christian thing. You know, that's dangerous. Again, how they respond to God's word reveals the condition and intention of the heart. Second is what we call the ecumenical evangelists. I am a Christian, but hey, let's unite with, and then everyone else. 
all the way from the Mormons to the Korean Jesus. Okay? Third are the social justice warrior Christians. I'm a Christian, but, you know, as Christians, we need to, you know, we do everything from protecting the animals to, to rights of all the animals. Now, these are all fine, but that's not what we're called to do. You want to protect animals? Great. You want to go against racism? That's cool. That's all, that, those are all fine, but that's not your primary call. When you exchange your primary call, ambassador of Christ, to the protector of cats and dogs, there's a problem. Okay? Lastly, the climate crusaders. As Christians, we need to reduce, reuse, and recycle. If you don't reduce, reuse, and recycle, you're not even redeemed. Huh? Over, no? Right? But really, um, I've seen just one person say something like this. Um, it was on, on Facebook. The person questioned the salvation of professing believers just because they're not, you know, like doing solar energy and, you know, all of that. I'm like, wow. Uh, the Bible doesn't say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and recycle. Okay? The Bible says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent. Okay? Look at verse 5. It also says, or Paul said, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And this gets a little confusing. What's really our call? To preach, teach, and equip, or to evangelize? It's actually both. It's both. The same gospel that saves is also the gospel that transforms. The word that saves is also the word that sanctifies. Can't separate the two. When people say that the gospel is grade school and then you have to, or kindergarten, or entry-level Christianity, and once you're in the faith, now you start to study revelation, or, you know, prophecy and all of that, or that's not true. The gospel is actually the MDiv. That's the master level. And it's also the introduction. The gospel that brings us in is the gospel that transforms us, and it's the same gospel that assures us until the very end, it's the gospel, it's the same gospel that will glorify us. Why do you think as Christians, every time, balik-balik na lang, gospel na lang, sige, every sermon, every Sunday, every sermon, gospel, gospel, gospel. There's a funny story about a preacher who wanted to be super gospel-centered, and one day, a person uh, visited the church and approached him and said, Pastor, I noticed ba, Nine out of ten times, you go back to the gospel with that tone. And the preacher goes, really? I apologize. I'm so sorry. I'll make sure next time it's going to be ten out of ten times. Because <laughs> that's our goal, really. It has to be ten out of ten. Now, I hope in this part of the sermon you saw the centrality of God's word, the necessity of God's word in the gospel. That's why we believe in accurate expositional preaching. Now let me give you the 15 benefits. Real quick, just 15 benefits of expositional preaching. First, it magnifies God's word over the opinions and thoughts of the preacher. Second, it creates a culture in the church that is centered around scripture. In fact, the nice thing about this you don't have to guess what's the text for next week. Diba? Last week we're in chapter 1, so what's for next week? Chapter 2. <laughs> Alright, so, well today it's, a, or this series lang, we're doing A, B, C, D, E, so you kind of know, oh, it's going to be A, B, C, D, E. And then after, um, to be continued, go back to our previous series. And then we go chapter by chapter by chapter. Imagine when we get to the book of Numbers, no? Anyway, <laughs> All right, but that's for another time. Okay, three, it provides authority for the preacher who is getting his message directly from Scripture instead of his own experience, his own thoughts. Well, we can simply say God said so. If you don't like what I said, <laughs> take it to God, not to me. Unless I misinterpreted God's word, then show me if I am wrong, I will repent because I'm not infallible. Only God's word is infallible. 
Fourth, expositional preaching guards us against falsehood or wrong doctrine. You see, it's very difficult to keep pushing some uh, biases when you go through the whole scripture. Because the context will reveal itself. Five, this is more for us, uh, church leaders. It eliminates our stress to keep thinking of what to preach next. When I was in a topical church, topical preaching church, it was so stressful. Every week na lang, we preached this naman last time. What will we preach next? Kaninga topic? Oh, wait, but we've, we've done something similar naman good last month. So what topic will we know? What it's so stressful. Okay. Uh, six, expositional preaching protects us from, uh, we call it the hobby horse, from going back to the same topic. Like for example, if there's a preacher, all he wants to talk about is discipleship. There, the Bible talks about discipleship and other stuff. But if that's all you want to talk about and you're topical, that's all you'll talk about. Right? So at least must holistic. Number seven, this is a long-term uh, benefit. Believers become more and more mature and more grounded in the scriptures. Uh, just a short example of this, I attended, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I attended the church before and very topical, same doctrines over and over again. And then we left the church now and all of that. And then after many, many years, we got invited to an event. So we attended the event. When we attended the event, it was the exact same verse from years and years and years ago, out of context pa. It was the, God will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in my head, when I was here, that was what they taught. When I'm, I came back, that's still what they're teaching. No change, really. And so because that's what they teach over and over again, that's what all the church attendees know. So if you stay in the church for 50 years, that's all you'll know for 50 years. How sad. Okay. Next, number eight, expositional preaching might address needs that we've never thought of. Because when we prepare for the sermon, we read it, we study it, we analyze, we exegete, and then we start to exegete the church, right? So we're preparing for a sermon and we start to think of the people, the members, the attendees. And we go, huh, maybe so-and-so is going through something connected to this. Or, you know, I never thought about this or that. Because we're not the Holy Spirit. We don't know your hearts. Nine, this is so crucial. Expositional preaching protects relationships, especially between preachers and the congregation. Because when a sensitive issue is addressed, no one, we cannot be accused of saying, ah, nagpadungog ay. Like, uh, the text says so. I can't ignore it. It's right here. So God wants me to address it today. So it protects the relationships. The downside, there's a downside to that. If the person's unrepentant and is reading ahead, oh, I'm not going to attend because I know I'm going to get hit. When I, I'll attend na lang next week. Sometimes it's also like that. Okay, number 10, there are times when we think an issue is done. And then when we look at the chapter, it's here again lagi. Maybe God wants us to repeat the, or address the issue again. And so one benefit is it reinforces what God wants to reinforce. And we have to trust the sovereignty of God and His timing. Number 11, Again, this is practical for us as preachers. And you guys, it's good for you guys to know this as well. So you know why we're doing this as a church. Okay? Resources for us is easier. Because, for example, if we're going to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, then we just need to buy the commentaries for Matthew. And we don't have to frantically search for a new commentary every week because we're going through a different book every week. That's crazy. Although now it's easier with Google. Right? But then Google isn't so reliable, you know? It's better to really get those, the legit, well, legit sources ba. Next, 
Number 12, it forces preachers to address the very difficult or controversial topics. Like when you read Romans chapter 1, especially today, LGBT is such a big issue and you're in Romans and you see it's there, you got to address it because the Bible says so. Predestination. I know of a preacher, and this is interesting, I know of a preacher who was very, very anti-against election, against predestination, like ultra against it. In fact, he was so angry with other Christians who taught predestination. And then um, their church decided to do a series. And the series, because Ephesians chapter 2 talks about, for by grace you have been saved, so they were forced to go to Ephesians chapter 1. And Ephesians 1 is all about predestination. And so he couldn't escape it. And so we started chatting. He started chatting privately. At first, it was more of an apology. Like, bro, I owe you an apology. I was very angry at you. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, bro, no issues, no worries. What's up? He goes, you sent me some links before, but I didn't read them. Could you resend them? Why? But okay, sure, here all, here, here. What's happening? Well, I'm reading Ephesians 1 because we have a sermon series and I'm not saying I'm convinced, huh? But I'm just kind of curious where you're coming from. Okay, okay. Sige. After another week. Bro, um, I was wondering what, uh, what book you could recommend about the sovereignty of God Okay, here you go. So, padala, padala. The next thing you know, wala na. He converted straight from, from ano, he, like 100% sovereignty of God and all of that. You know, and all because napugsan siya to look at the text. So, that's how it works. Okay? Number 13. It's good for believers and unbelievers to keep the preacher from focusing too much, too much on a topic. We're forced to move forward. Number 14, it edifies the preacher as well when he studies systematically from one end to the other. From one, from the start of a book to the end of that book. Because for us, we get to say also, I studied the whole book, I know the whole context. And it gives you confidence too. Because as you read along, you can also say, I know the context. In fact, have you ever experienced this? When someone asks you, where in the Bible does it say this and that, this and that? And you go, I don't know the exact verse, but it was in Ephesians. It's just, I don't remember if it's three or four. It was somewhere in the middle because that's where Paul begins to explain. Yeah? You've been there. And that's a good thing. If you think it's very impressive that people know the exact verse, that's great. But if they don't know the context of the verse... That's actually dangerous. It's better for you to know the context and go, I can't really remember where. Because we have phones anyway to pull out Bibles, diba. So it's better you know the context. Lastly, and this is so encouraging, it teaches the congregation to study Scripture on their own. When you get so used to expositional preaching, you won't want it any other way anymore. I'll give you one example of this. We had a friend who kept attending uh, our Bible study in the past and it was all expository. And then she got invited to the Bible study of a different church because she had a friend there. So she went and then she sat. And we didn't teach hermeneutics. We did not teach exegesis. We did not teach anything like that, okay? Like, she just got used to it. So when she attended the Bible study, uh, the, the leader started talking. So warm-up question. And then after that, here's the verse and then application. And then she goes, What's the context of the verse? And then the Bible study leader goes, What do you mean, what's the context? And then she goes, No, I mean, like, what's the background, ba? Like, what's, what's happening in this historically? What was happening? Why the author said what the author said? And then the Bible study leader didn't, didn't really know, so had a hard time, you know, but she appreciated it even more after. And she came back and she was like, You know, I just realized something. Like, you know, like okay, what? Because she told us she was going to attend. She said, I really appreciate now that I understand context. I'm so used to it because I know I'm grounded in truth 
It's not just anyone's thoughts or opinions. And that's really why we do this. At the end of the day, we'd love for all of you to catch even us. When we just jump in, you should be thinking, what's the context? That has to be how we all read Scripture. To end, all of this reminds me of the prayer of Christ. John 17. I'm just going to read through John 17, uh, especially verse 16. So Jesus said that um, he, this is the prayer and he's praying because he's going to get crucified already. Okay, So he says, I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then look at verse 17, John 17, 17. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As if that's not enough. He continues and says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus consecrated himself, died on the cross. Why? So that we might be saved and sanctified in the truth. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are sent here for a very specific purpose. It's to preach the truth, to live the truth, to know the truth. And the truth is in God's word, the scriptures. So let's make the scriptures our central focus. That's why we do this in NCC. That's why it's letter A. If we can let go of B, C, D, and E, as long as we keep A, B, C, D, and E will follow. That's why we do what we do. Amen? Let's pray.